What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back. We'll be joined momentarily by the great Ann Coulter, a longtime syndicated columnist, popular radio, TV personality. But before then, there's been a lot of events that transpired since we were last with you. One event in particular really just leaps off the page as I think requiring any, whatever amount of attention we can, we can focus on this, I think is the proper amount of attention. I, I'm talking here, of course, about what was a narrowly foiled attempt to assassinate a sitting Supreme Court justice. So late last Tuesday night, about a week ago, heading into Wednesday morning, around 1.50 a.m. local time in Montgomery County, Maryland, a California man who had recently purchased a handgun, and he had on him what source dis- what the police described as a legitimate burglary toolkit, was apparently ready to make an attempt to burglarize the house of Justice Kavanaugh, take out the justice, and then take out himself. I guess he got cold feet at the very end here. Hovering in the background here, of course, which we talked about now in this podcast for a while, was this unconscionable leak of the majority draft opinion of the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization abortion case a little over a month ago in early May from Politico. First time in the entire history of the court, as far as I'm aware, that an opinion of, the, uh, of this caliber or any opinion at all has been leaked out. And this only bolsters the theory, first of all, that the leaker came from a liberal Supreme Court justice chamber. So back then you had some people who said, oh, no, this is actually coming from a conservative justice chamber because they just want to lock in the 5-4 majority that that leaked opinion showed. From day one, for various reasons, I said this was total nonsense, that this is total BS, that there is an extremely high likelihood that this is coming from one of the three liberal justices' chambers. I have long thought from Justice Sonia Sotomayor's chambers probably being the highest likelihood option, but the reason why it was so obvious is because the incentive structure then was put in place for something like this exactly to happen. From the leaker's perspective, this narrowly foiled attempt on Justice Kavanaugh's life is a feature, not a bug, of the mere act of picking up the phone to Josh Gerstein over at Politico and leaking this thing. Another thing, though, going on here that we simply cannot avoid talking about, in the aftermath of that leaked opinion, the United States Senate unanimously, unanimously passed a bill in totally bipartisan, unanimous fashion, to beef up security for the Supreme Court justices, to allocate more money for the U.S. Marshals, Deputy Marshals, and so forth, to stand guard outside their homes, and so forth. And eventually, the way that this California lunatic was caught around the time that he got cold feet was a U.S. Deputy Marshal. Having said that, that bill is lingering, it is languishing, I should say, in the, in the United States House. Speaker Pelosi has not brought it to the floor for a vote. 
for the life of me, I cannot figure out why. I saw the Washington Post editorial board speculate, and you know this is really looking into it with some serious rose-colored glasses, way more than I think that we should give to Speaker Pelosi and her comrades. They were speculating that the debate in the Democratic caucus in the House is whether or not to beef up security, not just for the justices, but for the justices and then also their law clerks. Well, first of all, you know, as someone who knows some of the law clerks there, I certainly am not opposed to them getting beefed up security as well. But even conceding that for the sake of argument, which I find dubious, but even conceding that, they just authorized the whole thing. Okay, Congress just allocated $40 billion in aid to Ukraine, $40 billion. So we're now over $53 billion total going back to the previous allocation. We're, we'll, we'll talk about this with Ann Coulter once we bring her on. You're telling me that we cannot allocate in net $53 billion to Ukraine while at the same time we are filibustering a bill to beef up the security for Supreme Court justices while they're facing assassination attempts over the acts of a malicious leaker to Politico? What a world. I mean, look, a a left, a Speaker Pelosi-led House Democratic caucus that is willing to politicize more security for Supreme Court justices Look, each week now, it seems like we hit a new rock bottom. But if this is not rock bottom, then I don't want to know what rock bottom looks like. But stay with us. We're going to go to a quick commercial break here. We'll be right back on the other side with the great Ann Coulter. Stay with us. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. What a thrill, what an absolute pleasure. I'm joined by the great Ann Coulter, who on a personal note, I'm happy to say is just one of my formative inspirations for kind of getting into this sordid business of conservative commentary and media in the first place. So Ann, of course, is a best-selling author and, and the publisher of the new Substack, annculter.substack.com. So Ann, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. I've been putting you off waiting for the Substack to launch. Well, it really just can encourage the Substack enough to the listeners here. Go ahead and check it out again. That's annculter.substack.com. I've been getting all of them and they definitely have brightened up my day. So, and there's so much to, material to discuss in the news cycle. I mean, I'm sure we could talk for hours and hours here, but let's, let's start with the broader picture and then kind of towards the end of the conversation, kind of drill down to the micro and the more day to day. I, I, I want to ask you about Trump, because you know, obviously going back to 2016, your book in Trump We Trust, I think you were kind of one of the formative voices on the right, encouraging the election of President Trump. And you obviously soured on him over the course of your presidency. And, you know, at this point, I think it's fair to call you a, a leading Trump critic on the right. So for those who maybe weren't paying as close attention to what you were writing back in 2016, 2017 about him, why don't you just talk a little bit through about why you lost faith in him and what you see in him now, what you'd like to see from him going forward. 
Yes, sure. I'm going to keep this brief because that happens to be um, a Substack podcast um, that I sort of put in the hopper. I didn't want to start off with it. I don't want to be defined by Trump. It's kind of annoying me that um, so much of our politics these days, it's where you are on Trump. No, Trump is irrelevant now. He's done. Let's look to the future. And I mean, both far worse on the left, of course, they cannot stop talking about Trump. Well, in their defense, they have no one, nothing else to run on. Um, that's I don't know if you if you notice this, but Chesa Boudin, the George Soros backed insane prosecutor uh, in San Francisco, who is up for recall tomorrow, I don't know if we're pre-taping, but June 7th, Tuesday, June 7th. Um, It's just a complete disaster. And San Francisco may be, the only people who live there may be, you know, nutty liberals, but but what he's done to it, um, good chance that he's going to be recalled. You can laugh at me if I'm totally wrong about this. Even in a city of, of, um, you know, where, where the gay pride parade is, is um, a a city sacrament. Um, And his defense, he has nothing he can run on, the murder rates, the homeless people all over, the open market, um, drug addicts, and the city, the taxes are being used to pay for these drug addicts. Uh, The the smash and grabs, all these videos that get put up by this wonderful woman, um, Jenny, girl from girl from the fourth district, I think it is. Anyway, I follow her on Twitter. She's very good. Um, And I think she's liberal, but she lives in San Francisco and she just keeps posting videos of what's going on in San Francisco, which is quite, quite revealing, something you won't be seeing on 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 cable news. Um, So what's Chesa Boudin's argument to stay in office? These my opponents support Trump. No, everyone in San Francisco, I don't think anyone in San Francisco voted for Trump. This has nothing to do with Trump. So the entire left wants to talk about Trump and wants to saddle the Republican Party with Trump. And I don't Republicans are mostly just kind of nervous about, oh, I don't want to upset the Trumpsters. But I think most Trumpsters understand what I mean, certainly a lot of them have told me that. Um, that they may have gotten testy with me as I was. I used to call myself the head of the Donald Trump re-election campaign because I was trying to get him to keep his promises. Um, I just think, I, I mean, I was one of the first ones to support him. I was introducing him, him at rallies two weeks after he announced, the day after he announced I was on the Bill Maher show saying that he was the most likely to win. Well, why was that? Because, I don't know, he mumbled a few things about trade and immigration. And I was just so happy to have any Republican candidate do that. Um, I didn't care that he was inarticulate, couldn't explain himself. And then he got into office and it turned out, it really he really didn't care about trade or immigration. It was only in his last year that he started to do anything on immigration. Um, so it is on behalf of of the of the deplorables of the MAGA crowd that that, yeah, I turned against him as head of the um, Trump reelection campaign, because if he wanted to get reelected, should have kept his promises. And it's interesting because the president, obviously, or President Trump, that is he failed to hire people who want to implement his agenda. I think that's putting it mildly, yes. right? And I think conservatives right now are, are, are debating whether he comes back again, whether he'll be able to learn from his mistakes the last time. But 
focusing on those issues that he campaigned on that you saw in 2016, you know, and I, I kind of viewed you in a lot of ways as kind of being very prescient, actually, for our current political moment, as far as kind of the so-called America First movement, these more kind of, uh, I kind of hate the word populist, but I guess I'll just throw it out there, these slightly more populist positions on immigration, trade, foreign policy. Do, do you feel vindicated? I, I mean, thinking back to what you were writing 20 years ago or so, do you feel vindicated as to where the conservative movement has gone in the Trump era and after that? Oh, that's so interesting and flattering. Thank you. Um, also, I'll begin by, by, by complimenting you. Um, you put it exactly right. The people Trump hired. I keep hearing, or I used to hear, um, you, I must say I am getting a lot less, there are a lot fewer, oh, Trump, Trump, Trump defenders um, these days, but when he was in office, oh, it's not his fault, it's the people around him, they're undermining him, oh, poor Trump, poor, who hired these people? <laughs> It's like he's it's the way it's the way the Democratic Party treats black people. They have no agency. Things just happen to them. And they are not it's not like they're human beings who can make decisions. Same thing with with uh, at least certain Trumpsters and and Trump hiring. He was just saddled with, you know, Jared Kushner and Ivanka and, um, you know, Millie. Um, they were they were all so terrible. I can't. Even, oh, 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 my favorite. Um, what's his name? Gary Cohn from Goldman Sachs. Um, and as for vindicated, I mean, I guess in a way, I think um, it's not really vindication of me. The, the immigration and trade issue, as you say, I, I, I'm kind of with you on the term populism, but for lack of a better word, the MAGA group, the Make America Great, um, which by the way, even Trump didn't come up with. He doesn't own it. That was Reagan's slogan. Right. Uh, in any event, <laughs> um, I've never seen an issue like immigration where the public is on one side and our elected representatives are on the other side so strongly. I mean, look at what's happening to Boris Johnson today or, or this week. I don't know the details um, in in Great Britain. You see, I don't care about any other countries, even our mother country. I care about this country. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, he ran on on fulfilling Brexit because Theresa May couldn't get it done. Well, it, all that has happened is third world immigration has gone up astronomically under Boris Johnson. He has done nothing he ran on. It's exactly like Trump. Um, and when you have even Trump, I mean, that's what part of Trump's appeal was, that he was such a boor and such a ridiculous creature. <laughs> you sort of thought, I sort of thought, hey, maybe this guy will actually keep his promises. Because Republicans, at least, and actually Democrats used to run on getting control of the border and not bringing in people to take take jobs away. Um, from particularly in the tech world these days and before that from African-Americans, they would run on these things. And then the Chamber of Commerce comes in and no, no, we want the cheap labor. We want the indentured servants. But I've been giving speeches on this for a long time. And even before I wrote Adios America, I'd give speeches where, you know, something had just happened, say, because it's on it's a topic right now, the Newtown shooting or Obamacare. So the group, whether it was a Tea Party or a corporate group or a Republican group or a college students, they'd ask, OK, we want you to talk about Newtown shooting, Obamacare, um, Tea Party, something like that. 
whatever they asked me to speak on, I would speak on. And then I would always save one portion of the speech for immigration. They weren't expecting it. They weren't asking for it. And that was pretty much invariably the most the most um, popular part of my speech. I mean, I would get wild, wild responses. And I'm not saying that has to do with me. I'm saying, okay, this these are the people. In fact, I told Mitt Romney that when he was running um, because he was starting to say he was the best on immigration when he ran and he was starting to sort of backslide and, oh, what about real estate? Oh, great. You're talking to real estate magnates. Fan effing testing. <laughs> and I said I was just out in the desert giving a speech to, you know, a thousand tea partiers. They weren't expecting me to talk about immigration. When I got to immigration, the crowd went wild. This is where the people are. So it isn't really a vindication for me, other than recognizing, other than occasionally meeting my fellow Americans. Um, it, it, it's a vindication for the people. And let's, but I kind of feel like we're slipping away. And I'll just leave you with, with one example. I think we might be running up against um, our first segment deadline. Um, but even Fox News, which has been peddled to the metal, pro-immigration, pro-open borders, that's what Rupert Murdoch wants um, for basically since its existence. Okay, Trump got them out of their stupor to do a lot of reporting on the border, as I understand it. That's only illegal immigration, Josh. It reminds me of this proposal Ted Cruz had a few years ago, which was when he was trying to be, you know, both... Okay, I'll answer the call from from the people and the public. They want less immigration. And for for 50 years, polls have shown that Americans want less immigration. Politicians were giving you more immigration Um, anyway to to walk the line between what the voters want and what the Chamber of Commerce wants. Ted Cruz's idea, I shouldn't pick on him. He's been he's been pretty good recently. But his proposal, I don't know, it was back around the time immigration was coming up um, when he was first in the Senate was, no, we'll just bring in the, the same number of people, but we'll do it legally. Well, no, you still have all the same bad effects. You still have the jobs being taken. You still have the English as a language, as a second language classes, eating up everybody's, you know, local property taxes. You still have your emergency rooms jammed up with people from foreign lands who are the poorest of the poor. You still have people sucking away on the entitlements programs and the social security programs and the Medicare programs. Um, as, as Trump said, we're 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 they're not sending their best. Um, and to switch that from, well, as long as they're not running across the border, um, okay, maybe you'll stop a few gang members. But the cultural effects, the change to the country, all of that still happens when the immigration is legal. We need a total moratorium on immigration and any politician who runs on that and and isn't a con artist, I think will do quite well. Yeah, no, I remember exactly what you're talking about when Senator Cruz first floated this. It was around 2013 or so. I think it was in his first 
year or two as a U.S. senator. And I, I again, look, I, I know Senator Cruz personally. I definitely don't want to pick on him who he's been a stalwart or, or far better than the overwhelming majority of United States senators on any number of issues. Um, but the, drawing such a hard line between legal and illegal immigration is to kind of paint immigration as exclusively a national security or border security issue. And it is that, obviously, as anyone who has spent any time in the high Arizona desert and the Rio Grande Valley and so forth could tell you. But it is so much more than that. And that's obviously what you've been saying for for so many years now. And it, it is fundamentally about who we are as a people, as a nation. But stay with us. You're listening to Ann Coulter. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And one follow-up question on immigration, then we'll pivot to some topics more currently in the news. You mentioned this a little bit, but I would like to kind of flesh it out a, a little bit more. There really is one issue more than any other where there is this massive, massive divide between what the American people consistently, repeatedly say they want in Pew Gallup, any opinion polling known to man, and what the bipartisan uniparty elites in Washington do. And, and that, of course, is immigration. And like you accurately say, it's not just illegal immigration. It is legal immigration levels. And I guess my question for you is, why? Why on that issue more than any other is there this massive, massive chasm between what the American, American people want and what their ruling class gives them? That's a really good question. And by the way, you're very good at this Josh, which I'm kind of noticing now because I'm going, I'm, I'm too afraid to have guests yet, but I'm going to be podcast <laughs> on my sub stack. And I really hope we can cross post this, but I'm noticing because eventually I'll have guests. You are very good. That's very this. kind of you. Thank you. Um, this is probably too simplistic an answer, um, but I've always kind of assumed it's because the donors like the cheap labor. I mean, when I talk to rich Republican donors. Um, oh, I guess it's a two part answer. They are not only living in absolutely the most lily white areas on on the face of the globe, uh, which probably makes them feel a little bit guilty. Um, so so to make up for the fact that there isn't a black or brown person living within a thousand miles of them, they show much how much they love minorities by, yes, we love immigration. <laughs> Let me tell you about my maid. She is the most wonderful, hardworking. So not only do you get that, but then literally they want the cheap labor, as we've seen. I mean, I write a lot about this in Adios America, the Silicon Valley firms. Um, you know, this is the one time you're allowed to talk about IQ, um, telling us, oh, we're getting these high IQ um, immigrants. We really need them. We need them. We're getting the smartest people from India. Yeah, like the guy running Twitter now on shadow banning all of us. He didn't create it. Jack Dorsey did. A nice American man. Anyway, um, 
They say that what they want are these really high IQ individuals. And then it turns out they're bringing in people just to do standard computer programming because they can pay them less. And why can they pay them less? Well, compared to what they'd be making back in the Punjab, it is more. But the main reason is these employees can't go to another firm. So if, you're, if, you ha- if your H-1B visa is with Apple, you can't say, wait a second, Google just gave me a better offer. Goodbye, Apple. This is way better. No, you are attached by that visa to a particular employer, which is um, a policy known as indentured servitude. It's been outlawed both in our constitution and, and from time immemorial, but that this is basically what it is. Um, you have the meatpacking plants and the farm. I don't know why farmers can't come into not even the, the 21st century, if they could move into the 18th century. Nope, nope. We've always had our, our, our crops handpicked and we're not changing. Everything is computerized. Every single thing. You go to a Publix and you check out with, a, with the computer, a Home Depot, yeah, check out with a computer. But American farmers, nope. We want our cheap labor. And they add a lot of money. So, so they give contributions and they benefit from the mass third world poverty stricken immigration. Number one, monetarily, they benefit. The rest of us are subsidizing their cheap labor. But number two, um, they get to feel really good about themselves, showing how much they love the 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 third world immigrants coming in. You see, they like minorities. They might be living in East Hampton. They might be in in many of the whitest parts of the globe, um, but they love minorities. I think I really think there is that psychological compulsion. It's well said. No, I, I, I'm not sure I disagree with anything in there. But speaking of psychological compulsion and kind of shifting to more current events right now, there is no issue, I think, that Democrats have a psychological compulsion on more so than the gun issue. It is like this reflexive urge that every time some deranged, mentally ill, homeless person, an addict, a gang thief, a turf war miscreant, any time any of these people decides to use a gun for a terrible purpose, the same idiots, Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut being a typical example, gets on the cable news and starts blaring about various gun control proposals. But your Substack, which again, I encourage the listeners to check out, ancoulter.substack.com, your Substack has been merciless, I would say, in a good way, in swatting down the various proposed solutions to all these various mass shootings that we've seen. So talk the listeners through that a little bit here. I mean, in one of your recent Substacks, you basically say that increased concealed carry laws is one of the only ways to 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 basically stop these these epidemics of mass shootings. So why don't you kind of just break that down a little bit more for the listeners? Yes, absolutely. And I'm I'm going to be banging about that all day. I what I like about the Substack is, I mean, at least this is how I like my emails to come in. And who knows, I'm brand new at this. Um, but I like I like to be force fed short little pieces and not have like a 20 page document show up in my email. And I realized, you know, just going out and cocktail parties, chatting with people, a lot of these issues have come up that I've written about for, for, oh, 20 years now. I'm very old, Josh. Um, And I just want to force feed people 
small um, small arguments. I'm going to give it to you bit by bit. Every couple of hours, you're going to get a little bit more on how red flag laws, laws don't do anything. In fact, they're dangerous. That was the one earlier today. And, and quote, universal background checks. I mean, there's just so much dishonesty about guns in the media. Um, it's, it's, it's one of their finest hours of collecting collective lying. So just to throw out, and, and I'm including links in the Substack pieces, and then the concealed carry policy. I think there is one other policy. Um, there's only one that has been one gun law that has been shown to reduce mass murders and mass murders in particular, more than even just your regular, your regular murders, mass reduce the incidence of mass murders and also reduce um, the, the number of casualties at any mass murder, which is kind of a sneaky thing. Maybe I'll put this in a substack later today. It's kind of a sneaky thing. The left does. They say we can't find any mass murders stopped by by a concealed carry permit holder. Yes, because it was stopped. <laughs> so it doesn't make those lists. I mean, maybe one person is killed, maybe two people are, are, are killed, but it's not anything like the mass murders we've been observing. Those sorts of mass murders can only take place in gun-free zones. Um, and um, as I um, say in the Substack, I sent out, literally one minute before I called into you. <laughs> I just got it out in time. Um, and many of your listeners, I'm sure, know this, and I'm sure you know this, but um, two renowned economists, William Landis at University of Chicago and John Lott, who at the time was at Yale, um, spent years studying more than a decade of gun policies in the, U the U.S., what mass shootings and what laws helped or hurt. And they looked even at laws that, you know, you and I would like, like death penalty for for um, certain crimes with a gun. No, that never had any effect. The only policy that had an effect on the number and and the fatality rate of mass shootings was concealed carry. Um, I will give some examples in 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 my upcoming Substack little blurbs that I'm sending out in nice bite-sized pieces the rest of the day. Um, but of course that's true. I mean, it drove me crazy, which I think it was the Newtown shooting. Um, this is why I'm so glad I have a sub sack because I used to turn on conservative television network and just, I'd want to shoot my TV with the stupid things they, they'd be saying when the answer was so obvious. And why can't you push the obvious answer? And yes, it was after Newtown and, you know, all over a certain conservative network, they're pushing, we need an armed guard, an armed guard at the schools. And I'm sorry, any, any four-year-old could tell you what, so the shooter can just shoot the armed guard. Okay, done. Now I'm I'm back in the full gun-free zone. I mean, it's the stupidest thing you you can do. You don't want to, to be waving red flags. Here's the guy you need to shoot, potential mass shooter. No, you want the potential mass shooter to have no idea who's armed. That's what concealed carry does. And these whining teachers on MSNBC, oh, now you're making me be armed. No, I promise you, you, I don't want armed. But the point is, 
If these are not schools, shopping malls, post offices, as long as it's not a gun-free zone, the shooter does not know. And probably in in most of these schools, in schools in any state that that has a system that for allowing concealed carry, I'm sure there are already teachers, administrators, principals who, in their own time, have concealed carry permits. They, but they, they, they carry them to the grocery store if, if it's not gun free zone. They carry them, you know, to a restaurant. They carry them walking around, um, you know, public parks, and then they pull up to their place of work, their school, and. No, I have to keep it locked in the back of my car. Actually, I don't even know if you're allowed to get have it locked. In, yeah, I think you can, at least at least in some states. Um, I have to leave my gun locked in the back of my car. So n- really, I mean, it, no new training is necessary. I, I'd come up with a system to to reward teachers who go ahead and get concealed carry. I mean, the stupidest, there's so many stupid things about the public schools. But, you know, if you go off and get a graduate degree like Dr. Jill Biden in something completely moronic, your pay will automatically go up. Um, You know, but if you're um, a math graduate from (laughs) major from Harvard, no, you can't teach. You haven't taken the, the teacher's certification course. In any event, they do get upgrades in their pay for taking really stupid classes that don't make them better teachers. I think some teachers are really great. I tend to think great teachers are born. They are certainly not taught how to be good teachers in some stupid, quote, graduate class. Um, but this is something that it would be worthwhile that, that I'm, I'm thinking a bit ahead. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't want it to be a list. So maybe put a few things on on that, what you can get an increase in pay for. One of them would be if you're a teacher who has a concealed carry permit. It's a great idea. And I say that as someone whose mother is actually retiring this year as an elementary school teacher. And frankly, I would not want to see her arm because she's probably never handled a firearm in her life. But to your point, the option should be there. And the option, crucially speaking, cannot be left up to the school. I think this is a very important point. It has to be mandated that the schools have to permit it because the alternative regime, I think back to the 2012 mass shooting in Aurora, Colorado, I'm happy you mentioned John Lott who's also been a frequent contributor to the Newsweek op-ed section that I added. And one thing that John Lott noted years ago was in the 2012 Aurora, Colorado movie theater mass shooting, the psychopath who shot up that theater during the viewing of The Dark Knight Rises chose that theater probably in large part because if you actually look at the data, it was the only movie theater in about a 20 to 25 mile radius there in suburban Denver that did not permit concealed carry in the movie theater. It, it's, an, it's an amazing statistic, actually. Yeah. But That's the one I just sent out, I mean, among other things. In the sub stack, I sent 60 seconds before we oh. started recording. Well, but yes, Yes. And by the way, you know what the liberal response to this is? They claim which they're big fat liars. So I would like someone to I should contact my friends at the Independence Institute out in Denver um, to investigate this for. They claim that, no, some of the other theaters were also no gun theaters. It just wasn't posted. Well, OK, that's kind of the point. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, literally, that is the that is the entire point right there. Just just remarkable stuff. I mean, to, to me, I think so much of this comes down, I think, to just an innate hatred of gun culture. I think what you find here, obviously, is a kind of, you know, typical suburban moms, just folks who just didn't grow up like, with any knowledge whatsoever of guns. 
But that's not the way to make public policy. You don't make public policy off like an emotional reaction to a certain culture that may or may not have anything to do with a tool that, by the way, there are more of these tools and there are people in the United States in the year 2022. So good luck trying to put that Pandora's box back together, even if you wanted to. But and we're, we're starting to run out of time. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on one final point here before we Can I say one thing about. Your yes, mother? of course. I think she should think about the um, any teachers who do have concealed carry permits and, and being allowed to bring them the same way I think of the guys at my gun shop who are always carrying and are kick ass shots. Um, I think if I were in in whatever a shopping mall, a Walmart or something and somebody pulled out a gun, um, even if even if I were carrying I wouldn't want to be the one leaping in to take the guy out. Right. But I am so and I tell these guys this all the time. I am so grateful to them for being out there, for being armed out there. It's it's guys like that who do know how to use a gun and who are always caring, who keep the rest of us safe. Not not only because the shooter doesn't know the shooter doesn't know if your mother isn't is is armed or not. But that 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 they're good enough shots that they're not going to waste a lot of ammunition on these guys. Right. Totally. No, I think that, I think that's very well said for sure. And look, as someone personally, I mean, I've had a concealed carry permit for years now. And, you know, I obviously even in that terrible situation, you you do not want to be the one to have to take the shot unless you literally have to. Even in that situation, of course, you're not trying to be the hero at the end of the day. But and I do want to get your thoughts on one final issue here. And I, I, I'm just genuinely curious, actually, what your take is on this recent $40 billion boondoggle <laughs> of a foreign aid bill to Ukraine. I, I suspect you and I probably see this one similarly, if I had to guess here. But talk to us about just your the way you've kind of viewed this Russia-Ukraine conflict since the get-go. I, I'd, I'd be particularly curious for your thoughts on Vladimir Zelensky, actually. Um, well, I plan to advertise... Uh, counter programming. I don't know if you've noticed the Democrats are holding their January 6th hearing Thursday night, prime time. Woohoo. Um, so I think I'm going to send, I'm going to do a podcast 30 Thursday night as my counter programming in which I will promise them um, no Trump, no Ukraine, no January 6th. <laughs> <laughs> so mostly I just don't care and I am beyond enraged about Republicans voting for 40 million for Ukraine. I mean, as I said, 40 billion, sorry. Sorry. I always do that. I'm a girl, not good at numbers. Uh, (laughs) Yes, 40 billion. Um, As I said in the in the first part of the segment, I kind of know that that Boris Johnson is going to lose a a vote of confidence this week, but I may be phrasing that wrong. I'm not really paying attention. Even our mother country, I don't care about. I care about this country first and to have so much of the media's time. Again, I understand why the Democrats are doing this. They don't have a lot of good things to talk about. They can't talk about whoa, gas prices, woohoo, inflation, crime, the border, immigration generally. They don't have. How about just, you know, how beautifully articulate that devil Joe Biden is. They don't have lots to talk about. I understand why they want to cover Ukraine 24 seven. Why Republicans are doing this? I mean, I may have to revise my statement that there's never been such a divide between the 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 American voter and our leaders. <laughs> I've, I've always said it's immigration. Now I'm starting to think it might be Ukraine. <laughs> it, it's actually a really interesting way that you frame that, because I made this point a few weeks ago. 
you know, Carl Rove on Fox News had like that white clipboard that he always has. And he the, the clipboard that day was some Gallup or Pew poll of the midterm election, most passionate issues for voters this fall. I, I think Ukraine was nine. I mean, if it was even in the top 10 at all. But the way that like Mitch McConnell talks about this issue, I mean, the moral imperative to defend the Crimea and the Donbass, it's, it, 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 it's unbelievable stuff. I, I mean, like it, it literally makes you wonder whether they pay any attention whatsoever to their voters. But, you know, unfortunately, Anna, like I said at the beginning, I could truly talk to you all day. But we're going to have the Close it there. But thank you so much for joining this week. Like I said, you've been a huge inspiration to me over the years. So this has really been a pleasure. Oh, you are so good at this. I hope I can send it out on my sub stack. You're so good. We would Except be... then people will see this is how it's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we would be honored if you did so. So we look forward to that, of course. And thank you so much, Ann Coulter. Thanks, Josh. Bye-bye. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Thanks again to Ann Coulter for stopping by. Really on a note of personal privilege, just such a such a pleasure, honestly. I mean, Ann's just been such a remarkable figure in this space for decades and decades, someone that I've looked up to, someone whose columns I read back when I was in high school. I mean, sorry, Ann, I don't, I don't mean to make you feel old there, but just, uh, just such a remarkable figure in this space. I want to go back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the conversation, though, because I deliberately want to open that with a slightly provocative question for Ann about how quickly she kind of turned on Trump after her book, In Trump We Trust. And in the backdrop here, it's very difficult to avoid the 2024 question, obviously. And I'm living here in Florida, and as a place here in Florida, we've met a little bit in Florida. I know that Anne would very much prefer that the right move, move on from President Trump. I suspect she would prefer that Governor DeSantis be the Republican nominee in 2024. The reality is, Trump is going to have to decide. And then that question from there will be made afterwards by everyone else kind of waiting in line. Personally speaking here, putting my cards on the table, I think that Governor DeSantis is the future of the conservative movement. I have said that many times, maybe not quite as directly as I'm saying now. I think that he is a transformative figure. The only downside from a selfish perspective of Governor DeSantis becoming President DeSantis is that the state of Florida loses him. (laughs) And so much of the good stuff that's been happening here in this neck of the woods, in this part of the country, you have to worry about that to an extent because there's not like an obvious person down here as to who replaces him or who comes next. But we'll see. There are real pros and cons each way. I will say that my friend group, my friends, my columnists, commentators, everyone I talk to, people are genuinely torn on this question. They are genuinely torn as to whether Trump or DeSantis should come next. I do prefer Governor DeSantis. I'm just going to go ahead and say that. I know Ann Coulter would agree with me, and I just thought it would be interesting to kind of talk about that a little bit there. Pros and cons to each, of course, but we'll see how it all shakes out. But until next week, you're listening to The Josh Hammer Show. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for tuning in.